The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow our Facebook page and visit shadygrovepca.org. We're going to give our attention here to Psalm 103. We're diverting this Sunday from 1 Peter 3, is it? I think it's good for us to consider this amazing psalm. Let me ask you, what makes a good song? What makes a good book? What makes a good movie? Is it one of these things that you, you see one time, or you read one time, or you hear one time, and you never want to hear it, read it, or see it again? And I think sometimes with people, as we look at the Word, I hope that there isn't a sense of like, well... I know Psalm 103, no need to really review that one again. Um, A truly good song, a good movie or a good book, the reason we like it so much is because there's layers to it. There's so much there and then we get more of the second and the third and we, we continue to see things that we hadn't seen before. And so much of Psalm 103 is like that. I would say it's like uh, we're looking at all these different Uh, views of like an incredible masterpiece and we're looking at all these different angles as David is focusing in on the heart of God and there's much here for us to see there are layers to this psalm and I, I think as we for fathers as we particularly look at this we will see some things that are amazing about God's heart but as fathers, we're to emulate these things in particular because he even calls it out that as a father has compassion on his children, so our father has compassion on us. And as God is slow to anger, then we as fathers should be slow to anger. It's four times in the Proverbs we're told about being slow to anger so that we're not quick, angered people and hot-tempered fathers that would bring great distress in the home. So may this psalm be used by the Lord to change our hearts to be more like his. Let's give attention to this portion of his word. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. 
But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your heart for us in this psalm, we pray that, Lord, our hearts would be fully engaged in all that is within us. We truly bless you and be full of gratitude and thanks. Pray that you would drive out all fear, worry, discouragement, discontentment. Pray that, Lord, you would satisfy us with your unfailing love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's much here for us to consider, and I just want to try and go through and lay, try as best as I can to lay out this gem of a, of a psalm. And I just want to kind of work down from like 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. You ready? So we're going to begin with, there's nine all statements. We're going to go, we'll look at those. Then we'll look at the eight attributes of God that are in here. The seven bless the Lord statements. The six benefits. The five who statements. Not the five golden rings, just making sure you're still listening. Four similes. Three fear him statements, two contrast, and one big lesson. You ready? We got a lot to cover. First is the all statements. As you're reading through this, did you see how many times it just keeps coming back to it begins with all these all statements at the beginning? It, it, it starts with, bless the Lord, O my soul, and a little bit that's within me, part of what's in me, most of what's in me, all that's within me. It's fully engaged, full on from the start. Why? Forget not all his benefits. Does he forgive a few of your sins? A few of your iniquities? Who forgives all your iniquities? Heals all your diseases? Maybe not yet, but there is no diseases in, in heaven. And then he, so it begins with these all statements, and then you have this wonderful ending where we're told that his kingdom rules over all in verse 19. Kind of a summary statement before you get the crescendo of praises again. And then he calls on all of creation to praise him. Calls on the angels. Calls on his host. And it's all his host. All his works. In all places of his dominion. And someday this is going to happen. Someday mankind, as Creation is waiting and is on tiptoe, right, for, for the redemption of our bodies so that it can be released from its groaning and its bondage to decay. And the creation's not going to be redeemed until we're redeemed. And, but when we're redeemed, someday when David like this is calling on all of creation to praise him, that man has been elevated in such a point that we will lead in the praises of God and we will call on the angels, we will call on the host, we will call of all places in his dominion to praise him and there will be this concert of praise and he will be worshipped accordingly. There's eight alls, but there's another. And it's all the way back at verse six. 
The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. He's reminding them, he's reminding them of the Exodus. And God didn't just save a few of his people or some of his people. He saved the nation of Israel. And he brought them out from bondage to captivity when they were under the thumb of Pharaoh. And we should have a heart, fathers, for the oppressed. Tomorrow is a federal holiday. Don't be ashamed to talk about it. There was a time in our country where black people were oppressed and chattel slavery was normal and three-fifths American was considered normal. But praise God. And if somebody's going to accuse you of being woke, be woke for Jesus and nuance that black lives matter because they do. I might not be in alignment with black lives matter movement. I'm not. But black lives matter. And so don't be ashamed to speak out. God cares for the oppressed. He cares for all the babies in the womb. And you will be looked at as people that don't care about women. Half of the females in the womb will be killed. We care about women. We care about females and males and all the babies and all the little ones. God loves the oppressed. He cared for his people when they're under oppression. And we as his people and fathers We are to have a heart like this, to care for those who are oppressed. And when you see oppression, care for all, not just for some, but for the oppressed. So we see all these all statements, but then we, I want you to just see the attributes of God in this text. How does it begin? Well, it begins where it should begin. How's the Lord's Prayer begin? Hallowed be thy name. Let me just kind of jump over that first one. But all that's within me, bless what? His holy name. And all the attributes that are going to be laid out in this chapter, they all fit in context of that. He's everlasting. We'll see that his steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. But it's a, he was holy. He's always been holy. And we bless his holy name. If you listen carefully to how people bless others, Often what gets blessed in our world is we bless people when they're sneaky, when they're clever, when they're able to get one over, and they're able to do something that impressive. And, and people praise that. I remember reading Steve Jobs' book, and one of his main guys underneath of him was actually hiding a guy from Japan. He was bringing him in, and he, he knew that There's no way they were going to make the, I think it was like the thumb drives or something. He knew there was no way that thing was going to be ready. And Steve Jobs would always go into warp speed and everybody had to march to faster than time to complete a project. And this, one of his main guys knew there's no way it's going to work. There's no way this company is going to deliver the goods. So he had somebody else working on him. And when Steve Jobs finally found out, because sure enough, he wasn't going to meet the deadline. And the guy says, I have another plan. (laughs) I've done this behind your back. And Steve Jobs called him a name that I won't repeat, but then he praised him. You know, you sneaky guy, but you did this in such a way that we are able to meet our deadline. And he praised him. That's how the world works, is praising people for their sneakiness, right? You were able to work and find a way to do it that was do an end around. That's not God. God is holy. And so his mercy is holy, 
His hesed love, his compassion, it's holy. Everything about him in this chapter, his sovereignty, everything about him is holy. His righteousness, his justice, all is holy. And so we see our God is a holy God. He's an eternal God. His, his, look, at, look at how it describes his steadfast love. It's from everlasting to everlasting. We see that he has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Just in case you were worried this morning about things that you've been reading or, and since the pandemic or you've been seeing stuff on the news and you might be, start to wonder, is he still on the throne? Well, last time we checked, he was still on his throne. His kingdom is still ruling over all. And when it says he established his throne in the heavens, you know, you'll see sometimes a company will post the established date. You know, like established 1908. You think, man, this company's been around a long time, 1908, you know, or a married couple gets married and it'll say, you know, Smith family, you know, established, you know, 2008. And you're like, wow, they're putting a stake, you know, it's a big deal, right? God doesn't say when because he's always been on the throne. He just says he established his throne in the heavens, the most central place in the whole universe and his kingdom rules over all. He's still ruling everything perfectly. He's completely sovereign. And sovereign just means he rules over all. But then as we get into the heart of God, as God reveals himself, just as, he, as Jesus revealed himself to Moses back in Exodus 34, we see this phrase, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Is not that repeated so many times in the Psalms, so many places in the Scriptures, that our God is a merciful God, that He's gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love? And we'll come back to a couple of those things as they get highlighted as we go, but even even we're told in verse 11 where it says, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. Literally, it's so mighty. So mighty is his steadfast love. It's a mighty love. It's from everlasting to everlasting. This hesed love of God, and the hesed is this Hebrew word where we're getting steadfast love, which is used four times in this psalm. You see it in verse 8, that, we're, that our God is told to be abounding in steadfast love. We're told his mighty is his steadfast love in verse 11. You're told in verse 17 that his steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. The idea is that it has no beginning and it has no end. You could say it's from predestination to glorification. And so sometimes for Christians, they, they doubt, well, does God really love me because I've sinned, I've blown it, I've made this big mistake, I can't believe I did that. I'm so upset at myself for what I have done. And we have to be reminded of verses like this that, wait a minute, when did God set his love upon you? Before you were ever born, before the world was ever created, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world from everlasting is his hesed faithful covenant love for his people and it's too everlasting it will never have an end God's never gonna you're never gonna drain the ocean dry of his love for his people and and glorification is just 
when we will be fully delivered from sin and healed of all our diseases and free from sin, but free to praise him fully as we ought. And his steadfast love will be then. It's still everlasting to everlasting. It has no beginning. It has no end. This steadfast love. And so, and then we're told in verse 4, this amazing, the way that he loves us is that he crowns us with what? Who crowns you with hesed love. He loves you and has crowned you. That we're somehow called heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Really? Crowned like that? Son comes home and he gets shoes on his feet, ring on his finger, instant restored status. Put the ring on his finger. Put it, put it, he's in charge. Put shoes on his feet. Get the best, put the robe on his back. This is a son. Kill the fatted calf, the only calf. Kill it. So my son has come home. Crown him with love and compassion. Take away that shame and fill him with compassion. You see, fill him with this, crown him with his steadfast love and mercy. There's his attributes. So we see the all statements. And then we have all of this response of blessing the Lord, seven of them. There's three at the beginning. There's four at the end. The psalm begins and ends the very same way so that we would know that who is the audience in the psalm? Who's the audience? Himself, his own soul. He's preaching the gospel to himself. God's not ultimately the audience. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's speaking back to himself because we get discouraged and we have to remind ourselves. And how many complaints are in this psalm? How many petitions are in this psalm? How many confessions? How many imprecations? The answer is none. It's all praise, sheer praise from beginning to end. Bless the Lord, oh, oh my soul, he starts off. And three times he just starts off, all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's reminding himself, and how does it end? After calling all the creation to praise him, let us not forget ourselves. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Call our soul. And what does it mean to bless the Lord? How can we bless the Lord? He's the one who blesses us. And the answer is, we bless him with our hearts full of gratitude and thankful hearts and praising him for who he is, acknowledging who he is. We bless the Lord. And so the psalmist is reminding, he's preaching it to himself. And isn't that what we need? We have to remind ourselves of how good God is to us. All my life, you've been faithful. You've been so, so good. As the song says, it's true. And so the psalmist is seven times calling on all of creation to bless the Lord. And then we have the six benefits. Look at these benefits. They just list them. Forgives all your iniquity. Well, that's a benefit. Who heals all your diseases. Well, that's a benefit. Who redeems your life from the pit. That's a benefit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I mean, you went from the pit to being stead, to crowned with steadfast love and mercy. You just made the biggest 180 ever. Headed straight like, you know, as Merle Haggard used to say, a snowball headed for hell. That was us. We're headed for hell. Headed for the pit. Redeemed and now crowned with steadfast love and mercy. Couldn't be a bigger 180 imaginable. We were dead in trespasses and sins. 
following the prince of the power of the air, slave to sin, slave to our lust, or by nature children of wrath. But God, with mega love, with much love, he loved us and he made us alive together with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places already with Christ, already seated with him because he's crowned you with steadfast love and mercy. And he says that he satisfies you with good. I mean, is that not true? What happens when we come to know the Lord? We're no longer singing the Rolling Stones song that I can't get no satisfaction. Because that's what happens in this life. Is so often you think this is going to deliver. This is going to be the good life. You know, Karis and I were just in line last night. We were at a minor league baseball game. Hadn't graduated from school and they honored him at the this stadium, we were at a minor league ballpark, and um, we got in line to get a pretzel. Just wanted a pretzel. I mean, what's wrong with that, right? So we get in line for this pretzel, and Kim's like, well, good luck with that. You're going you're gonna to lose an inning just standing in line because the line is, you know, to Egypt. So we sat in the line. We get all the way near the front. We, as we got near the front, we started to realize, wait a minute. They advertise pretzels with the sign, but there actually is no pretzels in this very line, and we've waited a long time now. And so we got near the front, and we just said, well, we're abandoned ship. So we cruised on, and we went down the way to the other end of the stadium, all the way down the other end, and now we get in line again because we saw pretzels in the actual thing. And, you know, pretzels. All right, we're in. We get in line again, and, and once again, the line's to Egypt, but we're at the back of the line. We get all the way to the front, get all the way to the guy, and the, 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 you know, the 10-year-old at the front who's taking your thing, and, and, and I say to him, we want two pretzels. I mean, I only wanted to get one, but Kara's like, look, we've waited this long, we're getting two. So two pretzels, and he says, I don't think they're warm. So he goes over to the thing, and he reaches inside the thing, and he squeezes them. He comes back with no pretzels. When he says they're not warm, translation, they're ice cold. You know, like they're, 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 this machine isn't even turned on. No pretzels. Isn't that how the world works so much? It's like the promise is there, the advertisement is there, the pretzel is there. You think it's going to be the greatest thing, and you awaken in the morning, and behold, it was Leah. Hmm? Three innings lost, yes. Yeah, and, I, and the other team hit a three-run homer, and, you know, by the time we got back, the team was done, you know, they lost. So. We had a good time, though. <laughs> That's just how this life works. But when you come to Jesus, you come and you experience, wait a minute, there is fullness of joy in his presence. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper I'd rather be the lamest doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Just let me stand at the door. I don't need to do anything. Just let me be there because it's better. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Satisfaction in the Lord. He satisfies us with good and the good is himself. But he gives good gifts to his children so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Isn't it interesting how you get this, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You see what happens, we get older, we get kind of jaded, we get cynical. 
And we long to go back to, man, the, when we were young, we had all that energy. We had that youthfulness, you know? But it's like the stick song, somehow we missed out on that pot of gold. They lived happily forever, so the story goes. What if it was really true? What if there really was a happily forever ending? What if there really was this proverbial pot of gold, this fountain of youth, this forever young that Bob Dylan wrote about and somehow Rod Stewart made it famous? That can happen in Jesus. There is this fountain of youth. There is this forever young. There is this idea that he will restore our youth. We will always be getting younger in heaven. You're never going to age. Can you believe that? It's going to happen. The Benjamin Button kind of thing is you're never going to get old. It's going to happen. So look at this. Look at these benefits. The benefits. We got six benefits, but the five who's. Who forgives? Who heals? Who redeems? Who crowns? Who satisfies? God, God, God. And, the, and it, as you look at this, you know what it looks like to me? It looks like Matthew. It, it looks like Mark. It looks like Luke. It looks like John. It looks like Jesus on every page in the New Testament. What is he doing when he shows up? He's showing people that he forgives their iniquities. He raises this guy up that's brought down from the ceiling. He says, I, I forgive your sins. Like, what? I, oh, I'll heal him too, but I want to heal him so that you'll know that I've forgiven his sins. And he comes to those who are oppressed like this leper who nobody wants to touch, nobody wants to be near. And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out and touches him because he loved him. And he touched him and healed him. He healed the disease. He stopped funeral. How do you stop a funeral? I mean, the funeral procession's coming down. Here's the widowed woman, her son's in the casket. Everybody's weeping and wailing. It's terrible. Gee, well, enough of that. Just puts the kibosh on it. Stop that. Raise the son. Restores her to the mother. May crown you. Steadfast love and mercy. Redeem your life from the pit. Raise the son. Satisfy him with good. Every page of the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Jesus doing these very things. It's a person. This is personal. This isn't just theoretical. These six benefits, these five who's, that's Jesus. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He loves his people. He restores their youth. Then we get these four similes. So he's tried, and the idea is for us, it's good for us to think about these things and, and to be, it, the idea is not for you to get out your calculator. The idea is to be astonished. As far as the, you know, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for him. He is not supposed to get out a calculator. Okay, how far is, how far are the heavens? The idea is that you have no idea. I mean, do you have any idea? I mean, the telescopes can't even keep up with how fast the stars are actually moving away from us. We don't even know the extent of how far the heavens are away from us. We don't even know because it's moving faster than we can keep up with it right now. But we know that God's love is greater than that. It ran faster than as fast as you were running from him. He came to you. So as high as the heavens are above the earth, so mighty, so mighty is his hesed love, his covenant love towards those who fear him. That's pretty good simile. That's the first one. As far as the east is from the west, as far as the setting of the sun to the sunrise or the 
Sunrise of the sun to the sunset, far as the east is from the west. He's removed our transgressions from us. He separated them. He's hurled our sins into the depths of the sea. He says at the end of Micah, same idea. The idea is not for us to try to measure it. It's like, know that his left hand was stretched out as far as it could be stretched, and his right hand was stretched out as far as it could be stretched, and he was nailed to a cross, and he bled to take away our sins, to remove the problem and the barrier between us and God, this separation between God and man. Jesus has reconciled in the person of himself on a cross in time, space, and history. He removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to us. It isn't that God looks at man and says, oh, that's how I should have compassion. It's more of when we show compassion as fathers, we're being like our heavenly father who is full of compassion and loving towards all that he has made as a creator. He loves his creation and then has redeemed his people. Our father shows compassion to us, and then we're told this last simile is a reminder of God's great compassion as he remembers our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He knows where we began, dust. He knows where we're gonna end, dust. And as for man, here it is. His days are like grass. His flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it is gone. I mean, if you only had verse 15 and 16, would this not be the most depressing text? We'd all be singing dust in the wind. Same old song, just, you know, drop of water and acid jar. I mean, it's just, we're just dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. I mean, it would be so depressing, wouldn't it? Because at the best, it's just just so quickly, it's here and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. It doesn't even have any remembrance. It's gone. That's us. And he's saying, in contrast, he's going to contrast himself to that. But those are the similes. Then we have these three fear him statements. You see, if we truly love him and we get the greatness of his love, we get awakened to it. Because the big problem of man, our big problem is we don't fear God. Romans 3, when it lists our sins, and so many of them are sins of the tongue, poison of ass under his lips and his mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. You know, no one seeks the Lord. No one, you know, no one does what is good. All the, and it lists this whole thing. And you know the very last, the conclusion of it all from Proverbs 3, 10 to 18. And when he gets done, he says, there's no fear of God in his eyes. That's our problem is we don't fear God. And yet here it says three times about Great is his love, verse 11, to those who fear him. Verse 13, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting and everlasting on those who fear him. So how do those who have no fear become God-fearers? How does that happen? It's called awakening. It's called regeneration. It's called God by his spirit birthing in us affection for him and a changing of our mind and our hearts that we begin to see how great and holy God is and how undone we are in his presence and that we deserve nothing from him but hell and that he has bestowed 
such love upon us that his own son would suffer. And as this compassionate father has compassion on his children, and yet his son got no compassion on the cross. Jesus always refers to his father as father, but on the cross he doesn't. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's experiencing being cast out. He's experiencing the scapegoat. He's experiencing the wrath of God. He's experiencing punishment for sin. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. We just sang about it. He experienced it. The separation that our sins deserve. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven and it was revealed most on Jesus Christ who took our sin And then he said, it is finished. It's paid in full. It's done. I have suffered in our place for sins once for all in order to bring the the righteous and the unrighteous. How does he bring them together? The righteous suffered for the unrighteous. He becomes sin. We become his righteousness. He's imputed with our sin. We get imputed with his righteousness. That's the glory of the cross. And that makes us fear him. Jesus said, if you, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, we're to remember now to do his commandments. If we truly are moved by this, it doesn't just say, oh, well, this, is, this is great. God is really pretty good, huh? It changes our lives. It reorients, it recalibrates everything. Like, how do I praise this great God? How do I, how do I all that's within me, how do I live for him? It begins to change everything about us. Look at these two contrasts in this text here. The first contrast, if you, if you think about God's nature and then you compare verse nine with verse 17 and we're told about God that he's slow to anger and then we're told he will not always chide, meaning he will not always scold. He will not keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. So the idea about God and his wrath and his anger is that that's something that's temporary. It's not his permanent nature. He will not always scold. He will not do that. He will not keep his anger forever. There will be no anger of God in heaven. None. Because he will have fully dealt with sin. That's not his permanent part of who he is. In contrast to what? His hesed love, verse 17, is from everlasting to everlasting. That's his permanent nature. That's forever. He deals with sin. And so fathers, there are times where we get angry, but we should be slow to anger. And that shouldn't be our resounding trait that, boy, everybody's scared around us because dad got, got a temper. Dad gets angry. What should be known is that hesed love. I mean, God's hesed love, this is his permanent nature. And then in contrast... This other great contrast is contrasting us with God. The reason God is so gracious to us is he remembers that we're dust. He remembers how flea, I mean, we think of man and we think, oh, we're so great, we're so special. And and God just says about us, he has compassion on us because he knows we are nothing. We're just dust. It is over so fast, but he is forever you see, he's contrasting himself. His, his love is forever, his permanent nature, and he knows how fleeting we are, and he has compassion on us. And that should lead us to the one big lesson from this psalm. And the big lesson of this psalm is, to, is what 
God remembers and what we forget. What do we forget? We forget everything we just talked about. Because the psalmist is calling himself, bless the Lord, all the, my soul and all that would sit within me, bless the Lord, and forget not his benefits. Don't let me forget them. Because what, by, what do we do by nature? We're always forgetting, and God is constantly have to remind us of how great he is and how good he is. And we tend to remember what? Our sin, our badness, our mistakes, our failures, our fears, our worries. And we're to remember Don't forget his benefits. Remember how he treats you. He's removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. He's hurled your sins in the depths of the sea. And the great promise of the new covenant is, I will remember your sins no more. Promise. Hebrews 8, 12. New covenant promise. That's what he did at the cross. So that he would be merciful toward your iniquities and remember your sins no more. So what does God remember? He remembers that we're dust and has compassion. He remembers not our sins. And now he calls us to not forget his benefits and to remember, oh, by the way, remember to do his commandments. (laughs) That's what he says here for those who love him. Let it change your life. Recalibrate everything because of his great, great love for you. We join in all of creation. So bless the Lord. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege to know the only God of the universe and to see your incredible heart, to think that you would make us in your image, crown us, put us over angels, put us over all of your creation, to make us rule with you forever when we are unworthy subjects who have spit upon you, cursed you, said vile things, thought things in our heart, done things that are despicable. And yet you knew all that. And you went and died for us on a cross for enemies like us. We praise you for the depths of your love. Change us, Lord, from glory to glory now as we behold the risen Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.